listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2. And uh, as you're finding Colossians chapter 2, let me encourage you to have an open Bible in front of you. We're going to look at, at verses 6 and 7. This is going to be our starting point. And then we're going to work our way through uh, in, in a quick fashion, almost the whole book of Colossians this morning. With the children in here, it's okay if they squirm and wiggle and make some noise. That's okay, mom and dad. We'll uh, get back into Romans next week. We're going to pick back up in Romans chapter 7. I was thinking about this this morning. Last January of 2017, we started Romans. So in one year, we got through six chapters, and we're picking back up in Romans chapter 7 next Sunday, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that beautiful, complex chapter um, so, so look forward to that. Start reading and refresh your heart in Romans. This morning, though, I want us to drill down on Colossians chapter 2. In just a moment, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7 and pray. So as you're finding that, have that open on your lap, and we're going to be kind of all over the book of Colossians. Let me mention, and we mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago, that we are really excited. Uh, this upcoming year is going to be an exciting, eventful Year of change for Crosspoint. One thing that if you haven't been here in a while or maybe just somehow you've missed this, uh, I'm sure the vast majority of you know this, we, by God's grace, Lord willing, will be sending out a team, a group from Crosspoint to start a new church this upcoming year in the Columbus area, led by Will Hawk. And so Lord willing, that will be this summer uh, time frame, early fall. And so Will, who's on the ski trip now, his last ski trip with our youth group, uh, will be planting a church in the Columbus area in 2018. In anticipation of that void that will be left on our pastoral staff, we have hired a new brother to come and take Will's place. And I got a picture of him up there, Tyler Kirkpatrick, and there's a picture of his wife, Chelsea. We mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago. Tyler is finishing up seminary at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he and his wife and two children will be moving to Columbus this week. In fact, they're coming down on Tuesday. So two days from now, January 2nd, they will arrive Tuesday evening. We've got a house rented for them, actually just in the neighborhood behind Hart's Chicken over here, very close to the church. And so if you are able uh, to help us unload their moving truck, we could use some strong guys, <clears throat> Chris Ferguson, we could use some strong guys uh, on Tuesday evening. I don't want to obligate you, brother, but if you're available, Tuesday evening, um, we're going we're gonna to get as many folks as we can to unload their truck, and then Wednesday we're going to keep going for whatever we don't have. So Tuesday evening, um, if you're able to help, or Wednesday, if you're able to help, let me or Robert know, and um, we'll just kind of keep you abreast of the details, give you the address and what time to show up. We'd love for a couple guys to help us gang up on their truck and uh, unload it and welcome them to Columbus, and we look forward to introducing them to you next Sunday, January 7th. When I uh, first came to know the Lord in the spring of 1989, uh, I was a senior in high school, and I was, the Lord used the witness of my older brother, who had become a Christian uh, a few years before that, through his evangelism and through his girlfriend's evangelism, who later became his fiance and is now his wife, my sister-in-law, through their evangelistic efforts on my heart, I came to know the Lord in the spring of 1989. And I remember vividly 
shortly after being taken to a crusade by my now sister-in-law, where I think I heard the gospel for the first time when the Lord opened my ears to hear the gospel, and I trusted in Christ, I believed, as best as I can tell at that time. I remember shortly thereafter, I was riding in a car with my sister-in-law to go visit my brother in college, and she asked me what I was reading in the Bible. This was just days after I had, had publicly trusted in Christ, and I, I, I just didn't really have much to say, and she said, understanding that I was very new in the faith and sputtering around a little bit. She said, you should read Colossians. It'll be a great place for you to just learn about Christ. And it's a short letter and and read Colossians. And really since 1989, um, every few months I have read through the letter of Colossians over and over. And if I would say for the past 28 years that I think I've been trusting in Christ, I have probably read the short letter of Colossians more maybe than any letter in the New Testament. Colossians is a wonderful letter in its, in its content. It's so Christ-centered. Of course, the whole Bible is Christ-centered. But in a particularly dense way, Colossians is, is, is one of my favorite letters, books in the whole Bible because of its, its Christ-centeredness, because of its clarity, and because of its density. And so it has been my custom for, for years, especially towards the end of the year, to refresh my heart and reset my heart by reading Colossians several times towards the end of the year to kind of set my compass due north on the good news of Christ and the preeminence of Christ in all things. So I want us to, to consider what Colossians would have to say to us. And, and my, my title here in this brief message, realizing that it is New Year's Eve day, the few, the proud, the New Year's Eve day crowd with kids in here. I have uh, very uh, um, optimistically and bitten off a lot more maybe that I can chew, titled this message, The Christian Life. So let me read Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 and pray, and then we'll, we'll work our way through this letter briefly. Paul writes this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let me read verse 6 again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This morning, I want us to scan the book of Colossians. And instead of having the scriptures up on the screen, I think it might help us to just be looking at our own Bibles in front of us. And if you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles in front of you, in the, in the rack in front of you. I'd love for us to just look at our own copy of God's Word and scan. And I want us to consider a few truths about what the Christian life is as we scan through what it means to have received Jesus and then to walk in Him. This is by no means a comprehensive or exhaustive list or description of the Christian life. But I pray that it'll help us this morning as we, as we stand on the edge of a new year. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, thank you for your grace to us in this past year. Thank you for the truth of this song that we just sang. My heart swelled with joy as we sang just moments ago that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Father, thank you for that great truth. 
I think of the psalm that says, if you were to count our transgressions against us, who could stand? But for grace, Lord, you, by your sovereign grace, through your redemption that is in your son Christ, you have made those of us that are trusting in you new, and you've given us new life, and you've guaranteed that we will make it safely home on that day. And then you've invited us in to be part of your plan to bring others to the knowledge of Christ. And you've put us together in a family. Lord, what a privilege it is. As we, as we end this year and as we look forward to another, Lord, I know that in this room are, is a strange combination of expectation and regret. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us through the power of the good news of the gospel appropriately deal with the regrets of this past year and empower us by your spirit to be resolved to live for this, for this upcoming year for your glory and our joy. And help us now as we scan this beautiful letter, as we consider what it is to have received Christ and to walk in him as we think about the Christian life. And I pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few truths about the Christian life that I want us to see from Colossians. The first is that the Christian life is a rescued life. The Christian life is a rescued life. Let, let me turn to Colossians chapter 1, and all the scriptures that we'll read this morning will be in these brief four chapters of Colossians. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, Paul says, He, speaking of the Lord, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So, so at its core, let's not mistake as we recalibrate our lives at the end of this year and look forward to another year. Let's remember that the good news of the Christian life is that at its core, it's a, it's a rescued life. It's not a, it's not a merely improved life, a helped life, a life 2.0. Yes, the good news of the gospel and the truths of scripture will do all those things. But at its core, the Christian life is a, a ransomed, a rescued life. We were held captive in the domain of darkness and we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son through Jesus' work on the cross. And we'll read about that in just a moment. And that should cause us to abound in thanksgiving and joy. The Christian life is a rescued life. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God has made us alive. He has rescued us, not from a less than optimal life, but rescued us from separation from Him forever. Secondly, the Christian life is a, is a Christ-centered life, a Christ-centered life. Picking up again in Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 15. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And, and in fact, I remember the first time that Reuben Moyana preached here at Crosspoint. I believe you preached on Colossians 1, 15 through 23. I remember that, that message in this passage. It's so beautiful. This is, this is what Paul says about the Christ-centeredness of the Christian life. He, speaking of Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So in other words, there was enmity. There was, there was discord between us and a holy triune God. And Jesus the Son, through the plan of the Father God, has made peace with us, between us and a holy God, through his sacrifice on the cross. Friends, that, that's how anybody that has ever been a Christian has become a Christian, is through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We are sinners separated from a holy God by our own rebellion. And Jesus, the perfect God-man, lays down his perfect life on a cross. And on the cross, he appeases. He satisfies. He makes peace between us and a holy God. Verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The Christian life is, is a, it's a Christ-centered life. It's a Christ-centered life. We have been made right through the Son's work on the cross. But lest we, lest we, think, that, lest we think that the Christ-centered life is not also a Spirit-filled life, let's, let's, let's skip ahead to chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Listen to what it says about who Jesus is. Chapter 2, verses 8. 9, 10, and 11, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Listen to verse 9. For in him, meaning Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Paul is saying that to, to live the Christ-centered life is to really, we might even rephrase this to say it is the, the triune life. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ. And so if you have Christ, you have all that there is to have. Now that's not to say that in the Christian life we are all walking in the power and the authority and the level of victory that we need to be. Friends, that's called sanctification and we'll deal with that in a moment. But it is to say that to be Christ-centered is to be triune God-centered. The Holy Spirit, if you have been rescued, now abides in you and leads you into all truth, as Jesus says in John chapter 16, and equips you for service and gives you gifts and guarantees by the sovereign plan of a triune God to bring you safely home. The Christian life is a Christ-centered life. And in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Thirdly, 
the Christian life is a heavenly oriented life. A heavenly oriented life. Look, look at Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That, that, that word then, there's a, a forward-leaning aspect to the Christian life. What we have here and who we are here is not all that there is to the Christian life. And, and this is, I think, a particular challenge for us as people that live in the West and in America. I'm, I'm always chastened whenever I travel and, and, and do ministry with our, our partners around the world. In fact, this upcoming February, I have the privilege again to go to India where I'm going to be doing a, another small pastor's conference and a little church equipping time with our partners there in, in India. And every time I go and spend time with Christians like in, in India or in Uganda or just Jennifer and I just came back from China where where Christians do not have the freedoms and oftentimes the luxuries that we do, I'm chastened by the, really the worldliness of my own soul and how I, I, by default, as an American, always have to fight against this temptation to build out my Christian life based on these, these 80 years. When, when I'm around these brothers and sisters from around the world who live in a hostile world with governments that are hostile to the Christian message, they, they, they just live in this world where their best life is certainly not now. And they're longing for the life that is to come. It's a heavenly life. That isn't to say that, that, that we shouldn't use the freedoms that we have in America to be the best stewards of whatever advancements we can make for the cause of the gospel here and now, but it is to say that we have a kind of humble understanding that this world is not all that there is. Listen to what Paul says about uh, in this vein of the heavenliness of the Christian life, the heavenly orientation of the Christian life. Look what he says in chapter 1 in his opening verses. Chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5, he says, we always thank God. This is chapter 1, verse 3. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Think about Paul's logic there. He says that there's this love that exists in the Colossian church because of their heavenly mindedness. So, so think about the, the, the sort of paradoxical logic, at least from our perspective. Paul is actually saying to them that you are of more earthly good because of your heavenly mindedness. You know that phrase where it says he is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good? Somebody that's maybe just kind of a little too spiritual and they just kind of walk around with sort of Christianese language and they just, yeah, okay, but help me live next Tuesday. Well, Paul actually takes it a different direction. 
He's actually grounding the love that exists in the Colossian church for one another because they know where their true hope is. And, And when we are, in a sense, freed from the shackles of these 80 years, it actually releases us to be more fruitful and productive here because this world isn't our God anymore. We're actually serving the one that is coming. And it has this strange freeing power in us to actually then bring us back into this life and make us more fruitful. And I, I'm just, I, I'm a list guy. I like, I know, I like resolutions. I like to have stuff that I like to do. I like to just, ah, I love it. And I have goals and I have aspirations and I have things that I want to accomplish. And, and I think there's some good and bad in the way. I think it drives my wife a little crazy sometimes, but there's some good. But even as we strive, let's set our mind on things above, friends. Success in 2018 is is not counted in the things that we can accomplish and the, 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 the trinkets that we can gather and how many people we have coming or how many people are are part of the new church and how much of a success we have on a sort of temporal, but it is in our hope that is laid up in heaven that actually frees us to be finally fruitful here. That's the the heavenly centeredness orientation of, of the Christian life. Oh, that God would work that in our soul in this upcoming, in this upcoming year. Amen. Amen. Next, the Christian life is a, is a fighting life. It's a fighting life. What I mean by that is it's a life that even though God has given us these great and precious promises guaranteeing that we will make it home, the means by which he accomplishes his sovereign guaranteed ends in our life is through the means of our striving and straining and fighting to become who we already are. Listen to what Colossians 3, verse 5 and following says. Paul says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now listen to verse 7 and 8. This is really important. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Notice what Paul, this this little picture of the Christian life, verses seven and eight again. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. So, so even though we're not living in them, we still have a responsibility to, to fight against those things. Isn't this a beautiful description, an honest description of the Christian life? It, it, it's, 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 
It's a biblical view of the Christian life that to be a Christian is to be freed from sin. That's what Romans 6 was all about that we we just got done in in November. And and it's a a big part of what Romans 7 is about. And I can't wait to get back in Romans if you can't tell. And, And it's about this fact that we have been freed from these things. But being freed from these things by the sovereign grace of God doesn't cause us to fall back into a kind of passivity. But it empowers us to fight the war that has already been guaranteed won. And it's a fighting life and, and we fight together and, and, and we fight honestly and we, and we fight in the context of the local church and that's, that's the next truth that I want you to see that the Christian life is about. The, the, the Christian life is a local church life. And I, and I intentionally chose that phrase local church rather than just a, a, a community life because community is one of those words that we've used it so often that I think it's kind of lost its power and it can be kind of ambiguous. But when, I, when I'm talking about community here, I'm talking about specifically the Christian life is a life that is to be lived in the context for the vast, overwhelming majority of Christians. There may be exceptions, people on the frontier ministry in unreached areas, but the vast majority of Christians, the Christian life is to be lived in the context of the local, inconvenient, uncomfortable, ordinary, unspectacular, unromantic local church. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Paul knows we, we got to be bared with. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. This word admonish is more than just you know, light conversation about the weather or football. There's, there's teeth to conversations that are admonishing. There's, there's awkwardness to conversations that are admonishing. There's exhortation. There's, 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 there's a kind of grit to admonishing speech. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I've been reading this book, and we're, when I get done with it, we're going to stock it in the resource room, and I want to commend it to all of you. And, but I don't mean that I read all the books in there. I'm just reading this book, and we're going we're gonna to get it here in the beginning of this year and put it in the resource room because I think it's going to really help us as a church. And it's a new little book put up by an author, a young guy. And the, the name of the book is Uncomfortable. And it's about life in the local church. And it's just a short little book that is calling 
modern-day American Christians in a, in a very robust theological, gospel-centered way to the unspectacular, inconvenient, uncomfortable life in the local church. God, I think, intends, and I think we see this in the New Testament, I think we see this all throughout the Bible, God intends to help fashion us into the image of Christ by causing us to be yoked towards one another in inconvenience. That means that life in the local church is hard, it's imperfect, it's uncomfortable, it is inconvenient, it's, it's, it's a hassle. And maybe that's the way God intends for it to be so that we get our eyes off of ourselves and we actually care about other people. You've heard me rant before about like church websites, um, about how they just seem like everything is awesome in the church. And there's, these, there's this whole industry of stock photos for websites. And you see churches and they put these stock photos and everybody that's in these stock photos, they're just always, they're beautifully multi-ethnic, awesome, well-groomed, happy, just, they just look just shiny, don't they? And you put these images on, on your website and it's kind of discouraging because we are not very shiny. I mean, y'all are all right, but, <laughs> but that's not the way the Christian life is lived, is it? And we're lulled to sleep by Hollywood and by a thousand other spiritual forces of wickedness that tell us this is what success is. And this is what fruitfulness is. And all those things are subtle, often indiscernible lies. And the local church is full of people that are, that are struggling and straining, that have short tempers, that have, that have a whole lot of sanctification to go, that, that are not a whole lot of fun to be around that get on our nerves, that don't see the Christian life that we do, that disagree with us on important theological matters, that may not be as motivated as we are in certain areas of the Christian life, that are more motivated than we are in areas of this Christian life, which then rubs us the wrong way. In a whole host of ways, life in the local church is hard and uncomfortable and gritty, and that's the way God intends it. That's the Christian life. It's the life in the local church. And then finally and lastly, we end with this. The Christian life is a life, is a life on, on mission. Listen to what he says in chapter 4, starting in verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love this because there's a kind of duality here in the Christian life on mission. In the first few verses, Paul is saying, pray for us. Be somebody that is concerned about the work and the advance of the gospel outside of your midst. And that's what every biblical Christian should be about. We should be a church that continues to give more of our resources, whether they are time, 
talents and treasures outside of this church. We, we want to send more people to the mission field. In a couple days in early January, we're going to send a small team that's going to go to Haiti. And Ruben's going to be uh, Dr. Moyana and Dr. Joe Nardi, two dentists from our church, are going to be doing a dental clinic there. And Ruben got an email this morning from Pastor Sidor saying that in just a few days, there are already 300 patients that are waiting for them. So pray for Ruben and pray for Joe, the two dentists, that in the span of about three or four days are going to see three hundred patients. That's a lot of people in about four days. And there's going to be a team from Crossbank going along to minister to them. And throughout this year, we're going to send out more missions teams. We're going to send out a group from this church to plant a church in our city. We, we, we want to pray for the open doors of the word outside of this church. And that's what the biblical Christian life, that orientation should be true of all of us. But mission isn't just out there, it's in here, it's in our own individual lives. Look what he says in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you, individual Christian, who's in a local community that's mission-oriented, that you individually feel this burden as your, as your, as your own person, and that you know how you ought to answer each person so that we would all strive to walk in a wise way that commends the gospel. We would, the things that we post on Facebook, the conversations that we have around the water cooler at church, the way we comport ourselves towards that waitress or waiter that's fumbling around or the barista that is behind or the, the backed up Walmart line, all of that is a kind of witness as we invite people into our homes and invite people to church, that we walk in a way that our lives are used as a commendation of the gospel. That's the Christian life on mission. Verse 6 and 7 from chapter 2 again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Beloved, let's, let's, let's live this way that the message of Colossians calls us to, in a way that's rescued, Christ-centered, heavenly-oriented, fighting the good fight of faith in the local church for the sake of the gospel to those that don't know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we end this year, we are so grateful for how kind you've been to us. We do not deserve these things. Our sins, though they are many, your mercy is more. Lord, thank you for the past almost 13 years of this local church. This April, we will celebrate our 13th birthday together. Lord, you've been extravagantly kind to us. Lord, as we, as we close this year and look forward to the next, Lord, I know that in this room there are those that are filled with with regret and sorrow and maybe even sadness from the events of this past year. Lord, may they know that you, as you promise in Revelation, are the God that makes all things new. And may they, by your grace, move past what maybe was a sad year in full of gospel-fueled expectation into this new year. Lord, there are those in this room who who are, are, are sailing, 
They're, they're, they're coasting through life and, and you've been so gracious to them and you've given them gifts, Lord. Lord, reorient those that might be in that category and, and tune them in to the, to the radical gospel-centeredness, Christ-centeredness, local church-centeredness, heavenly-centeredness of the Christian life and use them for your mission. And Lord, as we, as we collectively as a church community face this new year, Lord, would you, would you pour us out Would you spend us for the sake of the gospel? And would we be satisfied in the fact that we are empty, not that we are full? And may you use us for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' glorious name we pray. Amen.